what the most effective companies have been able to do culturally is achieve shared consciousness. And this is something that's really amplified when you talk about going remote. I think this is something you lose when I can't hear you on the phone. I can't walk past your desk and you know have a bit of banter about what you're doing or not doing. And shared consciousness is the idea that we have a, a, this understanding of how each other thinks. Hey everyone, welcome back to the SaaS Revolution show brought to you by SaaStock, the conference that helps SaaS companies get traction, growth and scale. I'm your host, Alex Thuma, and I'll be looking at what it really takes to build and grow a SaaS company today and how founders and entrepreneurs stay healthy on the journey. Now on with the show. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution show. Uh, Darren Che, co-founder and CEO of Hugo. Welcome, Darren. Thanks, Alex. Great to be here. Good to have you on, on the show. Uh, we, we've not met in person, but we, we've spoken a, a few times. I think once you were in San Francisco, today you're in Sydney, uh, I, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, I'm uh, six months into my one-week holiday back to Sydney. Yeah. <laughs> Came yeah. back for a few days in March, and here I am in you know many months later. Yeah, it could, could, could be worse places. Um, That's uh, true. That's I, true. I, 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 I know somebody that got trapped in the Bahamas, uh, and we, we were not sorry for them. Uh, yeah. They were having to get up at like 4 a.m. to do you know, some calls. <laughs> Um, yeah, being yeah. there for six months with no flights out, I was like, you know, that's a, a pretty smart, great excuse. Right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, but uh, but good to have you on uh, on the podcast, Darren. For those that don't know you, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Who is Darren Chay? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm I'm Australian originally, as you can hear from my accent, based in San Francisco. Um, I'm actually a, a lawyer turned um, startup co-founder. So worked for for about four years for a big corporate law firm in Australia and. Um, many, many frustrations and inefficiencies there that we could talk about for hours. Um, and uh, that really gave rise to, to what Hugo is today. Um, so uh, my co-founder, who is an old friend, and I, um, he, he was working in product in San Francisco um, and both shared a lot of frustration around meetings and decided to take a crack at it and see how we could solve it um, and launched Hugo um, a few years ago now. What is the frustration around meetings? Because I know that oh. we... We have loads within our company, one being too many meetings. People think that we yeah. have too many meetings, right? Uh, but explain to me what your frustration was around meetings and, and how you solved that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the, the pain, the pains I experienced personally, and no doubt you do too around meetings, um, was sort of a sign of the times, I think. Because if you think about it, the way we meet hasn't changed in many, many generations. Um, but at the same time, we've got um, the explosion of SaaS. So we've got so many tools um, in play and project management and where notes are recorded and, um, and, and sort of sources of truth are now fragmented across you know, I mean, you, you probably know better than, than I, but we see like 150 odd tools in the average enterprise. Um, and at the same time, remote, which is obviously funny to be talking about now in the midst of the pandemic, um, re remote was already um, exploding before before we even got to where we are now. Um, so here we are all spread around the world on different time zones, um, but we're all still required to collaborate synchronously. And if you're not in the meeting, you don't know about it. Um, and all the takeaways, the notes, the insights, the value of the meeting dissipates as soon as it ends because it's going to end up either nowhere or in one of 150 different tools. Um, so that for us was really frustrating. Um, as a lawyer, the worst thing about these inefficient meetings that you didn't need to be in or that were great but went nowhere was that you could see the cost, you know, that we bill our time in six-minute increments. So you'd walk out of these meetings and see pop up on your billing software $3,500 for 
three lawyers to sit there for a couple of hours. I mean, that was that just blew my mind that we have done nothing uh, to improve meetings. And can you give us a bit of information about uh, sort of Hugo in terms of, uh, you know, when you were founded, uh, I guess, customer numbers, team size, revenue funding, that sort of thing. Sure, absolutely. Um, so Hugo, we actually started the company in 2016, um, but Hugo, as it's known today, was sort of 2018 vintage. Um, we, we tried to solve a problem in a different way first, which is an interesting story too. Um, but uh, Hugo, as it's known now, is about two and a half years old. Um, we raised six, just over $6 million um, early in the year um, from um, Gradient Ventures. Um, they led that, which is Google's um, early stage AI fund or, or data focused fund and some others like Slack and Founder Collective, Andre Capital, a, a few other sort of early stage funds there. Um, we, 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 have, uh, we have something around 16,000, 17,000 um, customers um, that are using Hugo. So it's, 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 there's a large number of them. Um, and that's based on a freemium model. So we have many customers that aren't paying and then we monetize um, you know, with larger teams. So we haven't, we haven't published revenue um, figures just yet, um, but it's sort of the usual split, as you imagine, you know, some free, some, some paying. Have you, have you been freemium from the start? We have, yeah. Um, for us, we knew that the hardest challenge is around adoption and habit creation, especially for a productivity product or collaboration product like Hugo. Um, and willingness to pay was always a very important metric for us. Do we have something people would pay for? But actually, you know, massaging and optimizing the the point and and the, the where to drop the gate and, and increases we knew would be something we'd would experiment with over time. So if we could get people to pay, they're willing to pay, and we could um, get people to create that habit and adopt Hugo into their daily workflow, uh, we thought that was much more important. Um, and that's why we went with freemium to sort of get out of the way. Would you say you're a product-led growth SaaS company? Yeah. This year, obviously, I mean, like COVID has, um, you, you know, dominated, pandemic has dominated, and like many industries have, have, have really suffered, especially events, hospitality, yeah. and things yeah. like that. Um, but um, uh, SaaS, you know, seems to be doing, you know, kind of SaaS and subscription seems to be doing uh, okay, kind of like on the whole, or, or, or more than okay. And if you're a SaaS company that's product-led growth and uh, in collaboration and in, you know, and remote, that that's quite a, a sweet spot to be in. So have, have you seen, uh, you know, uh, I guess kind of that trend of, um, I, I guess, like, you know, good growth, you know, because of, because of a pandemic? We've seen a lot. A lot of companies have benefited because of uh, uh, because of COVID and, and, and their adoption. Is, yeah. is that something that you think? Yeah, we we absolutely have, and it always feels strange talking about you know the how good COVID's been in some ways. Um, you know, because it's obviously a ter- you know, globally it, it, or it's a terrible situation um, for the world to be in, and and for the team personally and all of that. But from a growth standpoint, it's definitely been effective. And I think that was quite a surprise to us when when COVID hit, if you like. Um, we first thought that it would take a hit um meetings which is the core of you know what hugo powers surely has to reduce like i can't meet you in person sales pipelines are drying up people aren't interested in 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 in, you know in in collaborating in many respects so we thought as the volume of meetings decreased um so would the usage and adoption of hugo but the inverse happened meeting volume increased um and that's not a good thing And, and we definitely you know love to talk more about that around the problem with with meetings but um, we we just saw we literally day one week one month one meetings were increasing um, faster than they were decreasing and that's because all we were doing as professionals who were used to working in the office was replacing that quick um, chat me wandering past your desk staying in sync all of that with meetings on my calendar so not a good habit but it did it did obviously lead to to growth for Hugo yeah no and, and I mean obviously 
good to hear that you've had that uh, had that growth and that benefit. And and say like you know, SaaS seems to be you know a very kind of strong place to be uh, you, you know, during COVID. And I, I certainly concur, as I'm sure many of the listeners do, about the increase in meetings. Uh, and, and yesterday, and I I, I don't um, you know approve of uh, such time management. Uh, but you know, I I was on Zoom calls back to back from or twelve thirty UK time, you know, until yeah. six pm. Like with, with, with no break, uh, oh and like so, somehow actually I, I was kind of flying and I was just kind of like cracking through it. I didn't feel too <laughs> bad at the end. I slept really well last night. I have to say, yeah, I can imagine. Uh, I can imagine. Uh, but but in, in in the office that would never have happened, right? Because I I, I would have had like okay, some of these conversations was like let's pop out for a coffee or let's pop downstairs, yeah, you know, to the cafe or let's go for a walk or just even have a chat exactly. in the office. But now it's like Zoom call, Zoom call, Zoom call. Uh, and yeah. you know, sometimes, sometimes it does get a bit too much. So I, I didn't feel the impact yesterday. But last week, you know, we did Sasdot Latam, uh, and so yeah. that was like a five-hour online conference. I, you, you know, I, I was feeling pretty tired. You know, at the end of it because I had a long day. And then, uh, you know, yeah. Zoom calls for the rest of the week, and I was like having a headache every day, like, pretty much because of just all of these Zoom meetings and context yeah. switching as well. You know, it's getting yeah. a, little bit, yeah. a little bit too much. Uh, but you're. Um, uh, you've also written a book, apart from uh, you know uh, co-founding a company, uh, Tenets Culture. I confess I haven't read it, but I'm, I'm keen to. Uh, I, I'll put it on the on the list. So Tenets Culture, four-hour meeting week, uh, twenty-five other secrets from innovative, fast-moving teams. Now, four-hour meeting week sounds very appealing to me. <laughs> because I probably right now I, I'm doing forty-hour meeting week. Uh, you, you know yeah. something like that, right? And it, it, it does feel too much, and I'm sure others are in, the, in, in in that situation. So, tell me a little bit about, I guess, why you wrote the book and the essential ingredients for this this 10x company culture, and how do we get to a four hour meeting week? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I definitely feel like a bit of an imposter here. Um, I'm a first time founder, as I mentioned, coming from a corporate background, and certainly not the right person to be giving advice on, on company culture. Um, but the, so the story behind 10x culture was we, as we were talking to many of our customers and other partners that we work with, like Atlassian, Slack, Zoom, um, who Eric Ewan wrote the forward to the book and and, and things like that. Um, we were we were hearing about all these great ideas that or, or and great processes that they have in place with their team. Um, small ideas, clever concepts, ways of working, frameworks that have been really really effective for them. So we started keeping a bit of a Google Doc and and sharing them internally. And we ended up after a few months with this doc that had all of these really great ideas that were helping our team be more successful. And like most, we we're in a you know fast growth environment, fast growing team, just part distributed around the world and and, and the US. Um, and we and 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 we were implementing these and seeing amazing results. So we decided to turn this doc, this compilation, if you like. Um, into a book for everyone else um, to, 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 you know, in, I guess, enjoy and, 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 and implement. So it's a very practical um, sort of overview of all these little um, tidbits that have worked really well for us and many larger, more successful companies too. Um, and that's the, that's the background there. Um, and the four-hour meeting week, just to pull one of them out, um, which obviously gets many people's attention, um, is something we do. So we, we limit our meetings, inter- our internal meetings, so with each other, to a maximum of 10% of our work week, roughly four, four hours, you know, for an average 40-hour week, let's say. Um, and the reason we do that is it allows us to elevate the value of the meeting to what it should be used for, which is debate, discussion, and decision-making. It really makes you think if you've got this scarcity and this value on, on the meeting, it really makes you think whether I need to send that calendar invite. 
Um, and there's many alternatives. Um, you know, when COVID hit, we actually did a bit of um, natural language processing over meeting titles. And all of a sudden we saw um, all the meeting titles shift towards words like sync, um, review, share, um, these sorts of things. And meetings aren't the best forum for that. Um, we talk a lot in the book about asynchronous collaboration. Can I send you a quick note? Can I send you a quick video um, using tools like Loom and many others like that, where I can give you feedback on this document, where I can you know, sync and tell you where I'm at. Um, I can do it on my time zone once the kids are asleep or whatever suits me um, without scheduling yet another meeting. Um, and those sorts of practices have allowed us to keep our meetings um, to four hours per week. Um, and, uh, and, and obviously a healthy culture that now has been amplified with all of us working from home. I guess, like Hugo, would get a lot of data uh, right from the companies that are using the tool in terms of their their sort of meeting practices. And as you said, like the the inverse has happened. But are are you seeing like any kind of good habits or kind of like secrets in terms of what companies you know are, are doing around meetings and, and doing it effectively? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so there's a few things. I think one. Um, you know, which is the anti-meeting in a way, which sounds ironic, you know, being the business we're in, but the asynchronous versus synchronous way of collaborating, um, I think is really, really important. Um, and uh, asking that question each time, does it really need to be a meeting? Um, and the inverse of that is often, it, most of the time it does, um, but how can we make that meeting valuable to everyone else? So, you know, a core tenant of what Hugo does and what we do as a business is sharing the notes. Um, I need to be across what's happening. I'm interested in the insights. I want to know where, where things are at. I don't have to sit in the room for the hour. I can get the notes posted to Slack and I can see where, where they are. So those sorts of practices. But at a more philosophical level, um, what the most effective companies have been able to do culturally um, is achieve shared consciousness. Um, and this is something that's really amplified when you talk about going remote. I think this is something you lose when I can't hear you on the phone. I can't walk past your desk and you know have a bit of banter about what you're doing or not doing. Um, and shared consciousness is the idea that we have a, a, this understanding of how each other, th each other thinks. This, uh, this is, it's another concept in, in 10X culture that's uh, been very, uh, very well received and, and we're seeing it um, very effective um, where different ways to, to, to achieve shared consciousness as a business is leading to really great culture. Um, and one, one example that we use internally that we love is, called, is our decision log. Um, and this comes from um, this comes from a, originally from a blog called Farnham Street Blog. Not sure if you've come across that in your travels. Um, Canadian, yeah, exactly. Great content. And what they do is they um, they suggest this personally, and we've adapted it for the team. But every time you make a significant decision, um, you log the decision you made, um, the rationale for making that decision, the expected outcome, and when you want to reassess it. And we do this as a team. We have a type form that that integrates with Slack. And uh, every time anyone makes a decision, that might be engineering making a software architecture decision, could be um, you know, the founders making a decision on which investors we're going to go with. It could be marketers deciding on a new campaign idea. You share it. Um, and by sharing that with everyone, firstly, we're avoiding a lot of the sync meetings where you, you need collective buy-in and all of that. But more importantly, um, everyone starts to learn how each other thinks. Um, and then, of course, for decision-making quality, you have this point in time reference so when i when it comes back to revisit it you know months later i knew what i was thinking and what i thought would happen and comparing that to the outcome leads to me making better decisions as an individual as well so that's one idea we picked up from our front yeah from customers and partners that honestly has changed the way we work as a team yeah i think that's a great idea and a, a, a personal takeaway for me and something that uh, 
we'll look to discuss with, with, with the team and, and see if we, we can implement that. I, I think that that's a great idea. What have you seen, um, I, I guess, you know, I don't know if I necessarily dislike using the word the new normal, but you, you know, it, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, it's very much sort of commonplace, right? So I'll, I'll, I'll use it, but in the new normal, you know, how much of you feel what was important pre-pandemic, pre you know, is still true now? Yeah, totally. Um, I think it's just accelerated everything. So you've got organizations that um, weren't um, weren't familiar with remote, weren't using collaboration tools, um, didn't didn't understand any sort of concept of asynchronous collaboration that are now forced down there. You know, um, uh, small businesses, agencies, organizations like that that never heard of the Slacks and Microsoft Teams of the world, never heard of Zoom, and now they're savvy. So um, we've definitely seen that behavior. Um, and for many of them, that's mean a, sh a shift to remote for the first time ever. Um, but I think more interesting more interestingly, um, in our space, um, SaaS and, and tech more generally, we were already savvy and familiar with these ways of working. Um, many of us worked remote part-time, part of the team were distributed, um, we were using these collaboration tools. Um, but accelerating it so rapidly um, has led to us really testing some, some of those things. So things that didn't quite work, but that was okay because we're always going to be back together, we have an off-site every quarter, um, we travel, um, all of these things that help offset that are now gone. So we've really had to refine these processes. Um, you know, actually truly staying in sync as a team, um, balancing time, burnout, all of these factors for us um, and, 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 and many organizations like ours um, have now been completely accelerated. So it's a good thing because in some ways, a silver lining is that the world's gone the way it was going faster. That's great for companies solving for that problem. Um, it's great for organizations that can now get the value and the flexibility of people working where they want and, and, and all of that. But I do think we're playing catch up now. We're in the phase of um, not the, you know, there was the initial, oh shit, what do we do quickly from Monday we're remote. Then there was the, um, okay, it's going to be like this for a while. Let's actually get that new desk for everyone at home and let's add in that weekly meeting because it's important to stay in sync. And now we're in the new normal phase, which is like, this is probably what life's going to be like. And even, you know, by choice, perhaps, how do we find tools, systems, processes that are going to let us take this through, you know, indefinitely? Yeah, you mentioned the uh, the quarterly offsite, right? Um, what what is your alternative or your replacement? How are you how are you doing offsites now? online i guess yeah. yeah we we haven't to be honest we haven't we haven't figured that out um yet uh, and i've read a bunch and spoken to other people who've done it um many much like you know organizations like sasstock have done successfully with events um where you can achieve um you know really successful events remotely um so i think that's uh there is technology and tools and, and things out there to, to do that but it's not something we've quite figured out and i think we're really hitting a point where where we need to um, because the big, my, like my biggest fear with that is you don't know what you don't know. Um, you know, by not having the that collaboration and the real the the face-to-face -face contact in that, there's no clear gap. I can't go and show you that we're 10% slower or we're not growing as fast as we hoped we would. It's more what would have happened with the serendipity and and you know the 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 shared you know being in the same place at the same same place at the same time. And it, it's a worry. It definitely keeps me up at night. Yeah, I, th I think that's definitely like one of the things with with online in terms of uh, replicating that serendipity. I, I think that that's going to be the, the toughest one to, to crack. And you know, certain companies and certain tech that like trying to do it in, in sort of different ways and in sort of randomness. And there are, uh, I mean, some examples. So obviously, like Hopin, which is the, the platform that we use for our, mm -hmm. our conferences, online conferences. 
you know, they have a networking feature which randomly pairs you to, you know, uh, um, other sort of like attendees. And so you don't know who you're going to face. Yeah. And it kind of, sometimes it is, you know, serendipitous. And um, it, it, like maybe I don't know if it's the, the best example, but we're using a tool called Donut. Uh, you know, yep. on Slack, Slack. Mm-hmm. and we, we, it like pairs us, you know, I guess randomly with somebody to go and have a, a virtual coffee with and uh, and, and so yeah. on. But, uh, so there, there is technology that's trying it, but it, again, it doesn't necessarily replace those kind of, as you say, these kind of moments that just happen, you know, when you're in person or over a few beers, right? Um, yeah, so, uh, exactly. Yeah, and you have to rethink it. I think the biggest challenge, you know, and which is, I think, one of the causes of so many meetings initially, the unnatural instinct is to take the way we communicate and, and, and live um, offline and bring that online. You know, saying like what we did for the first few weeks of virtual drinks every Friday and that, and it's not the same. Um, it, just because that works in, a, in an in-person environment doesn't mean it's going to work via Zoom. Um, and rethinking um, the way we interact from the ground up, which is what's happened, I, I know, for Sustock with events and others, um, is what's led to, to some of that success. Um, how do I want to collaborate and communicate, um, you know, now that I'm at home and, and, and remote in this way? Yeah, we found, we found, I mean, when we, we first uh, went remote, uh, which was back in March, um, the first month maybe or so, uh, because we were all remote for the first time, but we had like every Wednesday, we had a virtual lunch uh, like together and everyone came in and everyone's chowing down on their sandwiches or noodles or whatever. And it was a yeah. little, bit, little bit awkward in that respect and seeing everybody yeah. kind of eating. Um, yeah. But we, we were all together and it was, you know, we unified in, in that moment, you know, because we were in, a, in the height of a pandemic and we were remote. But after a month or so, like we we're getting fatigued of being on Zoom. So it's like yeah. fewer, fewer people yeah. started setting up to virtual lunches and deciding actually at lunchtime, step away from your computer, right? And, you know, let's not have a Zoom. Yeah. And likewise, you know, on Fridays, you know, we have a Friday wins, which, you know, is at the end, obviously, the end of the week at like 4 p.m. on a Friday. But generally, yeah. people are very kind of like fatigued at that point. So, we, you know, we're, we're coming together, but we're coming together on Zoom again. And we've been on Zoom all week. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. you know, it's, uh, it, 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 it's quite tough. But uh, look, look, I want to find out more, just obviously, I know you mentioned in terms of feeling like an imposter about writing a book about uh, company culture, being a first-time founder. But... Obviously, you, you are a founder, you are uh, and have built company culture at Hugo. So how did you go about building that? And, you know, what areas are you focusing on? Tell us a little bit about designing company culture. Absolutely. Um, so the biggest lesson um, that we've learned is that you can't design culture um, as, a, as a project. Um, I still think about an event I was at last year where someone came up to me and said, oh, great, I really need to read this book. We're about to redo our culture, like as if they're talking about painting their living room. Um, c- culture isn't something you can implement or roll out. Um, culture, in our view, is the, is the sum of the practices, processes, um, and, and interactions amongst the team every day. Um, so the way, to, the way to change and improve and, and optimize culture is to change all the small things, the way you work. So for us, our four-hour meeting week sets the culture in some respects. Um, the way we achieve shared consciousness, um, the way we, uh, the, the, you know, the, the fact that some of us are remote, some of us are not remote, um, and the way we interact between those two groups of people. Um, so our view was to go and find little things, um, little processes, little systems we could implement um, and without worrying about the, the, what the culture, the, you know, what that means from a culture standpoint. And in sum, all of them would create the culture that we wanted to create. Um, so it was a bit of a paradigm shift because I definitely, especially coming from a corporate world, I, I sort of started top down, if you like, and thought about, okay, this is the culture we want. Um, but that, that's not the way it's panned out. It's definitely been from, you know, from bottoms up. 
Are there any, are any specific books that, that you have read around uh, culture that, that have helped you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so there's there's plenty. One of my favorite is a book called Team of Teams um, by General Stanley McChrystal. Um, pretty interesting guy, actually. He 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 led the joint um, task force amongst all the um, the security agencies um, when when they went into Afghanistan and, and then later with the Bin Laden capture and totally different environment. Um, but a lot of really big cultural issues because these organizations had never worked together before. Um, the concept of shared consciousness is something that he he talks a lot about. Um, and another concept from that book that's actually influenced our culture a lot is this concept of eyes on, hands off. Um, so one of the challenges of first time founder as an inexperienced executive for me, um, and coming from a corporate background too, is is providing the right level of autonomy to the team. Um, you know, it's a high stake game we're in. Many startups don't survive um, and we have a strong vision and know what we want to do. But knowing when to just let it be and let it go and let people run with things um, is something I really struggled with. And uh, he talks about this idea of eyes on, hands off, and you can be across things and be on top of things without directing them. Um, and uh, one of the big sort of revelations or epiphanies for me that it took me a long time to realize is we spent a lot of money and a lot of time hiring really smart people who are ideally are much smarter than us. So what point do, you know, is there to us internalizing all the company's problems and trying to come up with all the solutions? Um, rather, hire smart people, we share the problems, let them come up solutions together and, and run with them. Um, and that eyes on hands off principle from that book um, is you know, sort of answers both that and the question before, um, definitely something I think about regularly. Yeah, I haven't heard of that book, but uh, certainly one I'm, I'm going to um, go onto Amazon now and uh, and download or after this uh, after this podcast. Um, two part question here: um, What are the one or two key lessons you've learned since founding Hugo um, that you can share? And also over the last few months, like you know, during the pandemic, what's like one of the key lessons uh, that you've learned over the last few months uh, as a co-founder that you can share? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so lessons in, in founding Hugo, moving away from culture for one moment, um, is around distribution. Um, and I think this is you know something that's hopefully helpful to all SaaS founders and something you can all, everyone can relate to in that. Um, for, for, for me, from the outside, it was always all about product. If we build a great product, you know, in the famous Paul Graham quote, which I bet he regrets, but, you know, build a product, build and they will come. And that we've obviously had, the, we've definitely had the opposite um, experience, total opposite experience. Um, and you see many companies actually with really poor products that have unbelievable distribution and, and their marketing. Um, so like many, we left that late. Um, we really focused on product and had a few early customers and then couldn't understand why we couldn't scale that quickly. Um, the positioning of the product, even the go-to-market strategy, how we acquire users, what that, you know, what the funnel looks like, all of that we thought about way too late. I'm very jealous of the founders I see now who build, you know, uh, landing pages and type forms and air tables and, and whatever is their product, build this amazing distribution machine and then sub in real product. Um, so that's definitely lesson one. Um, and the second is to rehash what I said a moment ago, which is, as a founder, um, I, I sort of saw my role as this overarching, um, you know, leader that had to have all the answers and deal with all the problems and the team were there to sort of just execute. And that's certainly not the case. I think the reason startups are so successful is they're able to um, manage, you know, have it be, be a team where everyone can collaborate without the red tape and, 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 and hierarchy um, to, 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 to solve problems with so, across so many brains. And that's why we can move so much faster than, you know, the incumbents um, and trying to be the, 
the 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 autocratic or, or you know the the leader who has all the answers is very much undermining that. Um, and it did take some really um, you know a strong undoing of those of those habits to sort of you know to deal with things in that way. So they're probably my two biggest lessons I think from two big mistakes with Hugo. Um, from a COVID standpoint, um, I, I think we've spoken a lot about the asynchronous side of things, and and specifically, it's been really eye opening for me to to you know, develop further empathy for our team. Um, I didn't quite appreciate that. Um, you know, we've got a 22 year old in New York who hasn't left his apartment in six months, who lives on his own. Um, and we have a 40 year old with two kids who is home, been homeschooling for the last few months. They're dealing with very different things at home. And when we're pushing 4 p.m. drinks onto them or um, chasing things or, um, you know, not, not really appreciating what is going on. And, and, and I think it's been we've really become people first um, through this environment. I mean, I can see into your home right now and you can see into mine and um, we're talking as before the podcast, we're chatting a lot more about life and it is a silver lining. Um, and, and and I think that's something that I, you know, will absolutely take with me um, beyond, even if we are perhaps back in an office, which I'm doubtful of, um, it's something I'll definitely think about. Um, so that's probably the COVID, the number one COVID lesson for sure. No, thanks for thanks for sharing. And and as we get to the the, the end of the podcast, um, I kind of want to tie this into something we said uh, before we started uh, recording. And uh, so the, the final question we always ask is how people stay healthy and sane. And uh, you you mentioned obviously you're in you're in Sydney. It's five pm where you are, but you're also working US hours, right? And you, you you're up at four in the morning. Uh, Sydney time to kind of you know have that crossover from you, you know I guess kind of West Coast to to, to Sydney. Um, yeah. That that's got to be some pretty long days, right? Especially if you, you you're doing Zoom calls and so on. Like, how do yeah. you get through that and protect yourself from burnout? You know, how do you stay healthy and sane, managing your time? Um, I'm keen to know. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think I've got this right. I don't. I think my my wife would say I'm unhealthy. And my co-founder would say I'm insane. Um, but for for me, it's not about hours. It's it's about the the cognitive pressure. So um, I've actually probably I'm probably you know the healthiest and sanest. If that's a word I've I've been in a while being here because I've been able to balance things in a in a far more effective way. Um, I'm you know perhaps I've been working 13, 14 hour days some days, which is crazy. Um, but I'm home for bath time with my 18 month old every day, and I spend more time with my family than I ever have before. Um, I have the opportunity to catch up with old friends, get some sun, get out and about, and these things for me actually have a greater impact than the hours than the difference. Because as you know, um, and and many others listening. Um, the hardest thing about doing what we do isn't the hours. It's the it's the always on. It's the being in the shower, lying in bed, thinking all the time, not being able to switch off. And that's unproductive because um, my best ideas personally come when I'm not thinking about work. Um, and being able to, 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 to balance things in, a, in that way, um, one, because we're at home, and two, because the world's far more understanding. It's totally fine for the kids to come running in on that Zoom call or to have to, you know, come back and do finish this later because it's dinner time. Um, and that for me has really kept me healthy and sane, um, notwithstanding I've worked probably longer hours than I have, you know, traditionally. If, you, if you're doing a 13 or 14 hour day, which you, which you are, how are you managing like your time on screen versus breaks? Like how many breaks yeah. do you take during a 13, 14 hour day? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, a lot of it's done asynchronously. So I minimize meetings based on that company culture, as I mentioned. So I wake up, have a few meetings. Um, and then I'm using different parts of the day for what I'm most productive. 
when I'm tired, I'm doing a lot of the email, the admin, the business ops stuff. Um, when I'm feeling energetic and inspired and creative, um, I'll stay in my zone. And if people are looking for me, we'll do it asynchronously. I usually come out of that zone with four Loom videos to watch and, and a, a bunch of Slack messages. Um, so I'm really compartmentalizing that, that way, um, taking a break during the day. Um, but it's kind of all the constraints are out the window because you know, no one cares now all of a sudden, the whole world doesn't care when you're online and what you're doing short of the bit of synchronous, you know, work, the meetings we have to do together. So um, the world's my oyster as far as I can work when I want to work, when I'm most productive doing what makes sense. And it's an opportunity. It, it really is. And I, and I think those that are trying to port their business day from the office to home um, aren't taking advantage of that opportunity. And for me, that's made me more effective, happier, more productive, and hopefully healthier. Darren, uh, thanks so much for, for sharing today on, on the SaaS Revolution show. Fantastic guests, really great insights, takeaways for me personally, I think, you know, for our audience. Where can people find you online and where can they find out more about Hugo? So Hugo is um, hugo.team, T-E-A-M. That's our website. So you can learn more about Hugo there. Um, and I spend a little bit too much time still on Twitter. So that's at Darren Chait. Yeah, definitely love to continue the conversation uh, with anyone online. Well, Dan Chait, uh, co-founder, CEO of Hugo, thanks so much for being on the SaaS Revolution show today. Thanks, Alex. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the SaaS Revolution show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you learned something from it, check out sasdoc.com forward slash events to find all the upcoming SaaS conferences around the world.